Dear, dear listener, hi, this is John Dupuy. I want to ask a favor of you. If you like the podcast, A Deep Transformation, and you're getting a lot out of it, could you please help us by going to wherever you get your podcast? It's a Spotify or Apple or wherever it is, and write, write a review. That would really help us to get this out. We really believe in what we're doing, and we're really praying and hoping this is helping people and being part of the solution. So if you could do that, it would be greatly appreciated by Roger, myself, and our team. God bless. Thank you. Get ready for part three of this remarkable conversation with Nick Headland and Sean Hargens. What is remarkable about this is we open our minds and our hearts at the same time, and something special is going on. I think we all need to listen to it. A light is shown on the darkness of our time, but ways are shown for hope, direction, and how we can get our act together as a human family, which is so divided at the moment. Let's get going. Welcome to Deep Transformation, self, society, spirit, life-enhancing, paradigm-rattling conversations with cutting-edge thinkers, contemplatives, and activists with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. It'd probably be important just to elucidate what you're referring to as meta-theory because it's a crucial part of the work both of you have done, the contributions you made. One, you've mentioned in an earlier book you both did, Meta-Theory for the 21st Century, which is a really valuable overview of meta-theory. But we just need to bring in that meta-theory is that the kind of big-picture framework or a framework which is able to encompass and bring together multiple frameworks or theories, hence meta-theory, a theory of theories, a, a framework for, for integrating different theories and different perspectives and different worldviews, and, and, and very important for our time, given the sheer complexity of the issues we're dealing with and the tendency we've had for intellectual knowledge and the academy to fragment into its silos, which don't talk to each other. The work you're both really doing is about helping communities talk to one another through having this kind of common framework. So, Thank you both. And I just wanted to put that out as so everyone's on on board with understanding the terms. Yeah. And I would just add that another way of thinking about what meta theory is, is because there's theories of everything in physics, you know, where they're trying to explain everything kind of through a usually a materialist physical framework. And not doing very well, I might add there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, and the reason why I would suggest is because they're not meta theories. And, and by meta theory here, I'm referring to a theory of reality that is explicitly committed to weaving together an understanding of how consciousness, culture, and nature relate to each other and how those three components of reality are interwoven and, and, and show up together. And there's only a handful of integrative meta-theories out there, right? There, there are not a lot of them. There's a lot of theories of everything, but there's only a half dozen, if that, integrative meta-theories. And, you know, Wilbur's work and Bashkar's work being two of about what I would consider four or five you know, big picture models or frameworks that are being successful in weaving together a sophisticated understanding of consciousness, culture, and society. And, you know, 
nature and physical reality. Yes, a rare thing and very much needed in our time. <clears throat> and also an antidote to something both referred briefly to earlier, but which feels important enough to, to go back and emphasize. And that is the tendency to just look at one pro one problem or one issue. And I, I've come to think of this as a set of fallacies that, that are quite common. I, I call them the single focus fallacies. And there's the, there's the single issue fallacy where global warming is it or, or yeah. you know, overpopulation. Then there's a single cause fallacy. It's all due to capitalism or greed or take your pick. And then there's a single solution fallacy. You know, we just need to recycle. We just need to do this. It seems to me that your work and these big picture theories are antidotes to, to these fallacies. They, they point us to a larger perspective and the appreciation that no reality nature is too complex we need to we need to go beyond the fo single focus fallacies yeah absolutely I, I love that and i think that is a great way of summarizing what we're doing like we we need to think in multiplicities and and majority if we look at developmental studies you know the vast majority of the human population is that advanced linear thinking which is basically, you know, it sounds like it's linear. It's this single fallacy situation you're talking about. There's only 30% of the adult human population globally that is working in systems thinking, early systems thinking, and only about, you know, eight, 9% they're working and thinking in advanced systems thinking, right? And meta crisis really requires advanced systems thinking. We only have eight or nine percent of the human population who are developmentally capable in terms of cognition and emotional and interpersonal capacity to think, feel, and respond at an advanced systems thinking level, right? So, so part of the question is like, how do how do we help grow our capacity individually and collectively to move from linear forms of thinking where the single focus fallacy and such are, are rampant to viewpoints and understandings that, that recognize the, the multiple factors involved, the complexity of um, different elements that are interrelated, the, the vicious loops and cycles that get perpetuated by these, you know, related elements. Um, you know, so it's, we're really facing developmental challenge because people tend not to grow under stress and duress, right? And we're, we have that in spades. So not in ideal developmental conditions globally, right? So how are we gonna then get enough people able to think and feel at these higher orders of complexity when we're facing so much stress and, and challenge, you know, in our lives and in our families and in our communities? Well, while at the same time recognizing that they can't jump from stage one to stage eight, they gotta go through all of them. So how do how do we, we become catalysts or help people go through those stages where they they reflect the best of each stage because each stage has its essential gifts and and lessons and, and things that we have to not let go of but keep taking with us for the journey and how do how do we honor that and and facilitate that growth and how do we facilitate it in ourselves <laughs> that's just as challenging and i to make sure we don't lose a point you made there john uh, which is that under stress, people tend to regress. And 
how do we present this very challenging information about our global crisis, the meta crisis, in ways which aren't, which don't create defensiveness and contraction? And and we have some information from psychology. I know I know Nick, you have some information from from philosophy and other fields. But in psychology, we, the information is we need to give people three things. It, it, under th- they can grow instead of regress under threat. One is a context, a way of a way of understanding it, and I see that's what your work is. Both of you doing, giving us a way of understanding what we're dealing with. Second is pointing a way out. Here's what you know. Here's a way we can get through this. And third is here's what you here's what we can do. So giving people a, a context, a way of understanding, a showing a way out and and giving something that each of us can do. And it feels like you're giving us the framework for this possibility. And Nick, we spoke briefly yesterday in preparation. You had some other perspectives on skillful ways of, of giving this information. Yeah, I mean, it's this is something that, that I've grappled with a lot. And I think many of us grapple with those of us who are really feeling the intensity and the urgency of the situation. So how do we communicate that to, to folks in ways where, where that the timeliness, the urgency comes through, but also doesn't invoke that psychology of fear that there's tons of research now has shown that actually causes people to regress or be, or become less inclined to engage in the different kinds of transformative behavioral changes that are needed and so on. So, you know, that's, that's walking this razor's edge, but I mean, some of the research in environmental psychology has shown that it's really important to present a vision that's positive and hopeful, that's just as powerful and potent as, you know, the problem is scary, right? And so, and idea of really presenting that hopeful vision simultaneous with this sense that, hey, we really are being called to transform here or things, you know, could get really ugly or even more ugly than they already are. And so I think those are, those are some of the, those are some of the considerations around that kind of thing. And I think the sense that like between now and 2030 is this crucial window that we have to transform the very foundations of our civilization and that that's such a momentous opportunity and that the ways that we live could be so much more fulfilling and that we actually have the capacity to transcend so many of the alienations that we're feeling and that's you know so many people are struggling profoundly and i mean it seems like now nowadays every time you turn on the news there's another mass shooting happening and stuff so this profound sense of alienation is something that even even if the world ecology wasn't crying out to us that something needs to transform that we would still be facing so much deep dissatisfaction and alienation and that's those are all things that we have the capacity to heal right now and and you know to me that's a really inspiring thing that so much of that suffering that people are experiencing and actually be addressed. Beautiful. Yes. And of course, that raises the koan, which your, your life work is both of yours is, is about. And that is, what can we do? John's phrase, <laughs> how can we grow corn? And I'd love to hear you speak to this question. And maybe I'll just give a context that the, the question what can I do and what can we do is a particular kind of question. It's a it's a wisdom question. And there's a big distinction between knowledge questions and wisdom questions. Knowledge questions have a one-time answer. Is it raining outside? Look out the window. 
End of question. The wisdom questions are more like koans. Each time you ask them, they have the potential for taking you deeper into the question, deeper into yourself and deeper into life. And, and the question, what can we do? And individually, what can I do? These are wisdom questions, which we'll probably be asking for the rest of our lives. But you've been asking them for quite a few years. And I wonder if you could speak to some of the, the questions of, okay, we're facing these really big challenges. What can, what, what can we do? Yeah, I think the, the three things that you outlined that we need, you know, we need a context, we need a path out, and then we need to understand what we can do. I think that's a really powerful kind of roadmap. And I do see kind of integrative meta theory as kind of specializing, at least currently, in that first one, like helping to provide the context, giving us the eyes to see what we're really up against, both in terms of the challenges and the opportunities. Right? And I think the first volume that came out in 2016 was, you know, kind of really aimed at that. And then the next two volumes, you know, are looking more at like, what's the path out? Like, what are some examples of what this looks like applied to different areas? But I, but I feel like there's a lot more work that needs to be done there. Like, I think we're still trying to figure out the context. We're still, you know, we've only been talking about the meta crisis for like the last five years, right? And particularly the last two years, a number of new voices are joining the conversation to talk about and, and try and kind of map out and identify the different components of it. So it's like, I think we're still coming to terms with kind of the context, right? Trying to bring it into focus. I think the path out really is related to what we talked about before with perspective taking, seeking, and coordinating. You have to have a collective conversation to figure out what is the path out. I don't think it's entirely clear, and that's partly why there's a lot of stress and and confusion and concern because the path out's not that obvious. And even if some of us do see it, not enough other people see that particular way out to necessarily make it a, a viable path yet, right? It's like there's there's not enough agreement as to you know what are the the possible paths out. And so I think that's going to be a powerful and painful collective conversation. And you know, so I think, but in response to just your question, like what can we do? And this connects back to John, what you're talking about and, and speaking to is the single driver of moving from advanced linear thinking to early systems to then advanced systems and so forth. Primary driver, as best I can tell, based on my experience and research and, and the work that I do, is essentially what we've been talking about, perspective taking, seeking, and coordinating. If we can do that more and more in our lives, that's the developmental driver. That takes us into experiences and interactions with viewpoints that are other than our own, and it dislodges our own identities and forces us to keep re-identifying with a larger version of ourself. That if I was to choose one kind of you know practice for all of us to engage in on the planet to help us you know move forward in the right direction, it would just simply be you know continually find ways to take perspectives and then seek perspectives and then fumble around with trying to coordinate those perspectives because that in itself is the developmental practice that I think we are trying to do in various ways by any number of descriptions or, or ways of thinking about how we can do that. But I think that's the, that's the core thing that what we need to do and can do and in some respects are doing. The more we can do that, the more I have faith we're going to find our way through the dark wood. And Sean, would this in very practical, 
practical terms because you got me thinking about this and I'm trying to trying to see how, okay, what could I do here? Would this mean deliberately seeking out people with different perspectives yeah. and really trying to understand yeah. the exactly. understand? So it'll be an investment of time and energy and and with people that <laughs> I might not want to hang out with initially. Yeah. And what's at stake is our own identity. I mean, there's ego death all along that path. We have to keep letting go of our particular ideas of who we think we are and who we take ourselves to be and keep opening up to a bigger version of ourselves. And and that's not an easy path for any of us, right? Because we're really talking about releasing our identities and who we think we are while we try and open up to the identities of other people who think they know who they are and who we think got it wrong, right? In some important way, they're misguided or aren't including something that's important to us. And so it's challenging because we're having to affirm an identity across from us that we disagree with and at the same time also release our own identity, which we're wanting to cling to, right? So it's it's a double challenge. But more and more when I see that we're able to do that, amazing things become possible. Yeah, and and personally, I, I speaking for myself, probably Roger, this podcast is uh, personal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To make a difference. And the name Deep Transformation is a koan and it's a prayer. And my idea is if I get a lot of conversations with Roger around, I would learn a lot and I would become a better man. And it certainly has fulfilled that aspect for me. But that the fact that we're here and we're talking about this and running into questions that we can't answer, but maybe asking the right questions to to start us on the way is, I know it's powerful. Nick connecting with you and Sean, it's been a lot of years. And to reconnect with you is deeply moving for me. Yeah, just so many aspects, but we have also ask the questions personally, given this, you know, what can I do? How can I? you know, played third fiddle and, you know, the 15th throw in the back and have a part, you know, to play in this. And I think that helps us through. That gives us a sense of purpose and a sense of hope. And I think you guys are shining hope. And pointing out the meta crises, uh, first of all, and how it all is all there, and then how to generally move in a direction that uh, gives us reason to think that we can get through this. To a better time and a better world. And one of the things I would caution integralists about is I think often we think taking perspectives is enough, and it's not. You really have to seek perspectives. And integralists are often really good at taking perspectives, but we're much less capable of actually seeking out perspectives, differing perspectives. And if you look back at the example I gave around the Integral Forestry Initiative in Canada, the Canadian government took the path of taking perspectives, trying to get everyone in the room to take each other's perspectives, and it didn't work. What worked was when a small group of people reached out to key leaders representing those different worldviews and value systems and had seeking perspective conversations with them. That opened the space to then begin to coordinate perspectives and move towards a community agreement that then allowed the whole community to steward the, the forest at region, right? So I think, you know, the caution is it's not enough to take perspectives. You might have a big picture map that allows you to take a lot of perspectives, but you really have to be in relationship and seek perspectives and be willing and capable of being transformed by those perspectives, especially if they're very different than your own. 
then that helps open up the possibility to begin to coordinate next steps together. Yeah, in relationship, the key word in that last uh, last few sentences you said, yeah, that's the challenge, and that takes the guts, and that takes the heart, and that takes the um, and the willingness to change. Yeah, yeah, and I, I would agree that you know I think meta theories are, are really strong in terms of helping us identify the context and kind of get into that space. And, uh, and I think I think we've, we're already getting some good traction in that regard. And I think the next step, you know, in, in terms of looking at the, the way forward and, and the theories of transformation and theories of transition, I think that those are things that we really have to build out. And so it's about getting into these conversations like the with the symposia and, and with the example with the, the forestry in BC and so forth. And then we start to learn in that process, like innovation lab laboratories, you know, we start to see what are the, the, the principles and the practices that really are working. Uh, and, and, and we start to build more and more compelling visions of uh, the future that we want to create together. Uh, and I mean, you know, I think for me, the work around, how could uh, how could an, uh, an upgraded vision of democratic socialism kind of uh, come into the picture and and uh, Hansi Freinach's work around the listening society and so forth? It's like, how do we as a collective start to pool our resources and our intentionality to actually facilitate development for all of us? We're doing it, you know, with fossil fuels in this country already, right? And we're doing it in, in different ways, subsidizing different aspects of our lives. In support of the collective but how could we advance that how could we bring more of the insights from these uh schools of philosophy and meditary and, and psychology and development and say how do we actually create you know new context new educational systems and so forth that would actually facilitate more people to just come out at the other end of the the schooling system the advanced systems thinking deep emotional intelligence epistemic humility and capacity to connect on a heart level and take and seek perspectives. I mean, these are all possibilities so that, you know, that conversation about uh, how do we collectively begin to scaffold the development of the world we want to see emerge, I think is really important. And I think meta theory has a really crucial role to play in that. And I'm I'm glad you brought in education, Nick, because that's an important element of your thesis. And, and, the kind of education you're pointing to is a very different one from the role education has been given, which has been more about making a living than making a life. And you're talking about making a life in the sense of of cultivating, not just cultivating knowledge, but cultivating capacities and maturity. That's very, very important distinction. Absolutely. Very important kind of education, and and you refer to building the Scandinavian educational system. Perhaps you'd like to say a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think what comes to mind Roger, is you know this sense that the life that we thought we were going to live probably not going to happen, and that's part of the transmission of the meta crisis. Is that you know business as usual pretty much out the window in the fairly near term. I mean, we're talking the radical changes that are coming down the pipeline, ecologically, technologically, et cetera, in the, in the coming 10 years are, you know, we really take that in. And I think that's, that's really important is that contemplation and that conversation of, 
Uh, what are those changes that are likely to be coming? And if we don't know the, the fine nuances, and we can't predict the future, we can see the qualitative patterning, the pattern that is constituting the meta crisis, right? And then that also points us to the solution patterns, right? And so I, I really appreciated what you said earlier about these fallacies of these single single issues, single solutions, et cetera. Yeah, it's, there's a solution pattern that connects the interior and the exterior. Uh, and I think, think honing in on what are those solution patterns uh, and not just in the abstract, you know, we can start in the abstract, but then we need to test them out in the real world and see what actually works. And I think there's, there's a, a really tricky dialectic there in terms of education because it to create the kinds of education systems that could transform the world in the ways that are needed sort of presupposes that you've already got a significant portion of the population that sees that as it's needed and can direct the trajectory in those ways so it's a very it's a very uh, it's a very tenuous process so i think we just need everybody need who who is feeling the this this wisdom needs to do whatever they feel most called to do and get it out there in whatever ways we can. This podcast is an incredibly powerful, educative tool. And so whatever it is that we feel called to do, to be deepened in our own practice and then feel more empowered to just uh, sound our note, whatever that is. And everyone has that radical singularity, that uniqueness to what our Dharma is, uh, participate in the transformation that's needed. So I think so much of it is about sitting in the prayer and the humility and we don't know what's what's needed but we we keep trying <laughs> and we keep and we keep trusting that whatever it is we feel called to do from that deep place is going to be the right thing and that it's going to be okay thank you nick that's awesome indeed as john says thank you i love that you just just transformed the question of uh, what can i do and education etc into an acknowledgement that part of our work is is spiritual. It's a it's a sitting in the prayer, as you said, of what what is called for. What can I do? And and taking those as those questions as 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 koans can that can and will hopefully change us and mature us. And and that's very beautiful. And it brings to mind the. The ancient Indian tradition of Kama Yoga, which is the yoga or spiritual path, which takes our work and action in the world as our path and transforms our work and contribution into, into spiritual practice through first off offering whatever we're doing to God or to Brahman or to however we conceive a, a transpersonal source. Second, doing as impeccably as we possibly can. And third, simultaneously relinquishing attachment to the outcome, which is that combination of working as hard as we possibly can for our most important goal we can conceive, while simultaneously working to release attachment to the outcome, which of course is easier said than done, which turns Kama Yoga into such a life-edge practice. And so, yeah, so thank you for bringing that, that spiritual dimension in. Yeah, that's beautiful, Roger. That that reminds me of this, you know, this notion that Joanna Macy has articulated uh, called active hope. Uh, I think is really, really powerful. And I've, you know, I've I struggled in my own life in these dialectics of, you know, pessimism and optimism about the world situation, about the meta crisis, and uh, you know, is humanity going to make it? Is there going to be a social collapse on the near term or not? Uh, should we be pessimistic or optimistic? And I really felt 
over time, I mean, I had to go through those those pendulum swings and those polarities and, and really suffer in, in, in those places. But I think over time, I realized that that way of thinking about it is and feeling the situation is, is to some extent a trap or it's not the most, I found personally, that's not the most useful way of thinking about it because ultimately we don't know. We don't, we can't know future. We can, we might be intuitions and powerful rational analyses that can inform sense of the future, but we don't know. And, and then it begs this sense of like, well, so that's connects to what you're saying with karma yoga, like releasing our attachment to the outcome, but taking very seriously what we are doing and knowing that whatever happens, it's deeply meaningful. So our personal standpoint, it feels like for, for me to do all I can and, and, live my dharma and do what I can as impeccably as I can. That's the most important thing. And that's what's meaningful, regardless of the outcome, regardless of whether there is a social collapse in the near term or or not. And and so either way, we're 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 forging the depths of our collective soul by showing up and giving all that we have to the process. Wow. Beautiful, Nick. I love how you're highlighting we don't know. I think that's a great reminder and when we don't know we're in a place of uncertainty and human beings don't do well sitting in uncertainty and that's why we tend to gravitate towards you know a pessimistic view because then that allows us to know or an optimistic view which allows us to know so both the pessimistic and optimistic move is a strategy an ego strategy i would suggest for dealing with the uncertainty right and this is why i think there's this powerful connection between what I shared earlier about it's getting worse, it's getting better, it's always already perfect, because that places me at an intersection of uncertainty, right? And kind of learning to rest in the uncertainty. And it's not easy. It's, it's very challenging as human beings to, to rest in uncertainty. And we're facing more uncertainty collectively than we ever have before. I mean, there's so many layers to the metacrisis. There's so many things that could and are going wrong, right? So the level of uncertainty is off the charts. And that's, you know, part of the existential crisis as part of the epistemic crisis. Um, why there's a lot of psychological malaise, you know, in, in the face of that uncertainty. So I think part of what we would well is to figure out how to be at ease with these levels of uncertainty without collapsing into simplistic single solutions of it's all getting better or it's all getting worse, right? Because that's another version of the single fallacy, right? An optimistic view or a pessimistic view. Um, you can find enough data to support either one of those, arguably. Yeah. Yeah, Ken, Ken once said in a conversation and I was privy to, he said, I don't write books to tell people what I know. I write books to find out what I don't know. And I'm sure you guys have all, all authors and have done a lot of work, but what you knew by the time you finished the book was probably immensely more than when you got the idea that you should write a book. Yeah. So, <laughs> Hopefully so. <laughs> that's yeah. wisdom, right? That That's the path of wisdom. <laughs> you know, to have been working on these issues that you now call the metacrisis for well over a decade and and you've really come up with some very important, big picture, novel emphases and contributions. But coming back to the personal level, how has wrestling with and working with the great issues and challenges of our time changed you? Yeah, I mean, I think what comes up for me is 
I mean, it's in so many ways it's changed me, but I think that what I want to speak to right now is connects to what we were just saying and that it's caused me to, to let go of this, um, this mode of consciousness where I'm seeking certainty and I'm, uh, I'm kind of grasping and I'm, and I'm grappling in this, in that kind of place and actually just invited me to relax more into this place of embracing the humility, embracing the uncertainty and becoming this, this receptive vessel that's residing in this prayer. But there is something there. There's something that I'm in touch with in that place that's grappling with the complexity and the, the challenge and the emotional distress of, of looking at all these things has um, gotten me more in touch with there is something there there is a sacred reality and there's something that is I can trust in that even though my mind doesn't know the answers and I can allow my mind to be this receptive vessel and then as I start to play with ideas I can I can notice which of the ideas are resonating in in my heart and in my soul and more and more my thoughts and my worldview and my behaviors are coming into a sense of, of resonance with uh, the lethic truth of, of reality. Like the reality that's happening outside of my ideas of what is happening. Um, that I can start to notice when I'm actually coming into this lethic resonance with that field. And that's a sign for me that I'm moving in the right direction. And I think that's how I see my life is that I'm my my goal is to my worldview and my behavior into resonance with the field of reality and i think that the more we can do that on a collective level uh, i think that's that's part of the solution pattern that's going to get us through the meta crisis in a good way and open up new possibilities for collective flourishing you know i like that you keep saying solution pattern that that's sticking mm -hmm. here thank you yeah thanks roger for the question it's always great to kind of come back and ground it and these more personal considerations. Um, there's three things that come to mind for me. I, I tend to always think in threes. <laughs> That's part of <laughs> the legacy of being an integralist. <laughs> Anything less than three always feels incomplete. One is just being more present, kind of based on what we we're just talking about around uncertainty. I love being human. I love being on this planet at this time. It's the greatest show you know, I could imagine, you know, it's both exciting and I'm very worried, <laughs> you know, like, you know, so like I feel alive, right? So part of grappling with all of this is like, it's, it's cultivates a quality of aliveness. Like I feel very alive to be here at this moment, facing the world with all of you the way we are. So, so there's kind of a presence and an aliveness that, that gets activated. The next thing is just compassion, just a cultivating of compassion of all these viewpoints and perspectives and how afraid we many of us are and the unskillful things we say and do as a result of that fear or those identities and just really going wow like can i you know just give everyone a big hug <laughs> you know it's just like yeah man this this is tough you know like, like come here let me let me give you a hug because yeah we we gotta like you know, stick together in this so just kind of this quality of compassion and then i think the last thing is just you know I am so overwhelmed wonderfully with the celebration of complexity of just like kind of awestruck, like going, holy, sh you know, just like, wow, like 
this is amazing. Like this is so complex. There's so many layers. There's so many dimensions. There's so many considerations. It's, you know, and I think just kind of, and to me, that's the intimacy with reality. Like grappling with the meta crisis is this this deep, intimate process of of trying to stay open to reality, both in its complexity and its its ultimate simplicity. Right. I think there's for me that I just I'm just awestruck at the world reality the planet human beings humanity you know it's just it's just so like amazing <laughs> so just like going wow all right like let's see where this goes <laughs> beautiful i can sense i can sense the uh, the way in which it this uh, doing this work looking at the great challenges of our time calls calls you to live as fully as you both possibly can and that sounds beautiful I'm going to compliment that and ask, you know, dealing with these really big challenges, what gives you hope? I think what comes to mind is a, a notion, like a really lived embodied notion from the Diamond Approach, which is a tradition that I've worked within for the last 20 years. And you had feed on the show not too long ago. And in that tradition is a notion called basic trust, capital B, capital T. And basic trust is, is tr trusting the intelligence of the unfolding now with N, with the N being capitalized, right? So I think that's what gives me hope, right? It's, it's, it's kind of like a, a transpersonal quality of hope of, of releasing my ideas and my agendas and my preferences and perspectives and just really surrendering and relaxing and opening to the intelligence of the unfolding moment to moment now. And and just that's that's where I stake my hope tent. Beautiful. Mm, thank you. Nick? Yeah, I'm, I resonate with, with what you just shared there, Sean. And I would say, you know, there's this understanding that the planet has already been through something like five or six major ecological crises uh, where we're really at an inflection point is life going to continue on this planet and you know one of those was that the great oxygenation event right where the single-celled organisms were producing too much oxygen and that was their part of their their metabolic waste was to produce oxygen and that started to saturate the atmosphere and it was creating this this point where is all all the life going to die because of this oxygen toxicity and at that point, out at the situation and go, doesn't look like there's a way out here. The the situation's looking incredibly dire. And then out of nowhere, out of the mystery, emerges multicellular life that completely flipped the metabolic processes on their head and started turning all that excess excess oxygen into food. And so all of a sudden, the radical crisis turned and was was transformed into this radical. Uh, abundance for new more complex forms of life to flourish right and so it's like but that's in us right and that's part of the revisioning the ontology like we are nature we are nature with that self-reflexive logos right and so that that same force whatever that mysterious force that produced that radical emergence and transformation out of nowhere that context that's here right now uh, we're leaning into this meta crisis right now in 2022. So, you know, there's there's that basic trust that there's there's a radical intelligence in this in this evolutionary process, 
And if we can just align ourselves and come into more resonance with what that force is, and we that makes the, the possibility that something like that, that could emerge and radically transform the situation that we're in and create a whole new epoch of, of, of planetary flourishing possible, that, that that's all the more unlikely. Oh, beautiful. Nice. Beautiful. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. May it be so. Yeah. And it feels like this is probably a beautiful place to bring our dialogue to a close. It, you've given us uh, a context, a big picture context, the biggest picture uh, pictures on the planet, the big meta theories of our time. You've introduced and challenged us with the great challenges of our time, the, the real crises we are going to have, we are facing and we need to live through. And you've pointed to uh, a kind of basic trust and in in a, in the wisdom of nature and our own inner wisdom and that's a that's a huge gift so i think uh, just deep appreciation for the work you're doing deep appreciation for your books meta theory for the 21st century your your new one big picture perspectives on planetary flourishing and all the ideas you're bringing into the world we we really need those ideas may they be may they be the catalysts for the kind of transformations we're all looking for. Thank you. So and your much. loving hearts, I might add. Loving hearts. Thank mm -hmm. you, John. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've really appreciated the heartfelt conversation we've all had here today. And so good to reconnect with both you, John and Roger and, and Nick. Always a pleasure to dance with you in, in these spaces. So yeah, really appreciate the, the opportunity to connect and to share with your listeners um, these ideas and to inspire them and invite them into these considerations. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Thank you both so much and for curating these amazing conversations that are transforming culture and just uh, for your heartfelt presence and, and care. And it's just great to co-explore with you. So thanks so much for having us. Deep gratitude all around and deep transformation also, hopefully. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Thank you both. Today's episode was brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger and the Deep Transformation team.